Hi, welcome to Clitterly Speaking, the podcast. I'm Michelle Doherty. And I'm Emily Lane. We are BFFs dedicated to bringing you conversations between girlfriends over a bottle of wine. Oh, I am so excited about the wine part. Oh, me too. So pull up a chair, grab your glass, and let's get talking. Hey, 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 Emily. How are you today? Hey, 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 Michelle. I am good. I am very excited to be coming to this conversation once again from Studio Shoe Closet. And, uh, you know, I'm just excited to be here. Yeah, you didn't spend uh, this last week trying to find a better location in the house. You're just so (laughs) comfy, so comfy in the shoe closet. They're like, it works. I might as well stay. These are all my friends. So it makes me feel like I'm somehow like, you know, got a little part of me. I'm going out. I'm getting fancy, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So. There's a story with every one of those shoes too, right? You're like, Absolutely. oh, I remember. I remember That's this. Right. I remember that. I remember back when we used to go to restaurants for dinner. <laughs> I know. I um, I was going through my wallet the other day because I've been cleaning out. I've been doing a lot of cleaning out and I've I finished the Studio C, emptied things out of the way, uh, got rid of papers and stuff like that. So I was still in that mode and I started to take all my receipts out from my wallet. And there are like three locations that I was frequenting all the time. I had receipts from the wine merchant, of course. Oh, yes. And, and then um, uh, Heel Wood Fired Pizza and um, the Granite City Brew House in Creve Coeur. It was like, that's the only three receipts, but I had multiples of them in my wallet. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I wonder if they miss me. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm surprised you haven't received a little love letter. We miss you. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. They'll be like, where was that person? So, um, well, your bookshelves been- look great. Look at that. Don't they? Yeah. yeah. Very organized. Yeah. That was uh, yeah. the bookshelves. I have to give kudos to my son, William. He was embarrassed by our time of the month show and how the bookshelves <laughs> looked on that live show. And he said, mom, and he came in and he fixed all that. He color coded it and um, and put them in, 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 a, in a respectable order. I've been doing all the other heavy lifting though in Studio C. Okay. But how has your week been? I mean- you know, you know, it's been really, um, it's been really interesting. I, I'm feeling tremendously inspired, despite the fact that I'm a naturally social person. You know, I, I get a lot of energy by being around people, and so this is a new dynamic for me of having to, you know, socialize electronically. Um, and it's different. You know, it's you don't get that same kind of energy kick that you do when you're right next to someone. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely stimulated by what I'm doing with work right now. Um, I'm involved in, you know, helping companies really rethink their strategies. And so that, that is creatively stimulating for me and I enjoy that. And I'm also involved in a project to try and, um, you know, invent a new solution for masks that's better than what's on the market now that can help really prevent the spread of major infectious diseases like what we're going through right now. So that's very interesting. And so these things that, um, you know, are relevant to this time, I'm uh, diving into, and that's really keeping me uh, feel, keeping my spirits uh, alive. Yeah. Um, 
What about you, Michelle? Well, other than like cleaning and cooking, um, you know, I've done a lot of uh, Zoom calls with, um, you know, improv. I was able to have a a fun family game night with uh, my daughter in Portland via Zoom um, last week. Uh, I've spent a lot of time on the computer like like this. Yeah. Uh, And I'm grateful that I do have my son, William, here. Uh, at home with me mm-hmm. because I don't know if uh, how me and the dogs and the cat would, you know, just be with us. <laughs> You'd be having but, tea um, parties. <laughs> yeah. But today, I think, you know, today I did, I did, I mean, honestly, I felt uh, I had a bit of a, like a little melancholy set feeling, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I don't know if it's because we're entering week three of being, mm-hmm. you know, away from everybody. But um, yeah, it was just like, you know, it's sort of like a little wave of sadness would hit and, and I was like, okay, you know, what yeah, do you do? I, you know, I totally every, understand. Everybody's in the same boat, right? Yeah. I definitely, on so Saturday, it was really unique for me because, you know, Saturdays, we look forward to our Saturdays. Usually, you know, we would go yeah, wine yeah. tasting and we'd be out. And right now it's, um, the weekend comes and we're just, we're at home, you know, there's, there's nothing fresh and exciting to go stimulate our, you know, our curiosities. And so, um, I found Saturday, I, I, that was to me the hardest day because this is a time I'm supposed to be really enjoying and, and what do I have to occupy my time? But more work around the house, oh, more organization, more, you know, uh, yeah. you know, of course there's reading and ways to grow personally, but I think we're all doing a measure of that each day. And so Saturday was tough because that's my social day and it was gone. It, you know, I couldn't do that. So, um, yeah, I know. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. I, yesterday felt a little bit better. I got out for a nice long walk and that really, um, got me kind of back back on track, you know. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah it's tough. Yeah, I did get out for a walk today after um, I had I cooked up a lunch for William and I, and then I said, okay, you know, because I, I was still kind of, you know, it, it's weird, you know, it's sort of like this little, you know, it's like a tugging at you. This little mm-hmm. sadness wants to wants to come in and like reside. And I said, and so I just went out for a walk, and I delivered some books that I, you know, to the little free library, you know getting rid of stuff. And, and it was nice. And I felt better when I got home and I was like, okay, yeah, this is, you know, um, I'm, I'll just be curious to see how we feel, you know, next week when we record and, you know, the following week and hopefully, hopefully we're not still all in our homes, um, in a month from now or two months from now. I didn't listen yeah. to any news today. So if I, if there was something important yeah. I was supposed to, to know, I didn't listen to anything. I, and, and that was okay. I didn't even check Twitter. Right. And I, yeah. I'm always on Twitter. <laughs> you know, sometimes so it, you need a break from that. Well, that's what's yeah. so wonderful about what we're doing here, you know, for us, yeah. <laughs> for us personally. <laughs> I mean, it's just really nice to have this part of our routine still intact, even though it's configured in a slightly different way. Yeah. Um, I love that here we are, we're, we're recording. Um, we have a wonderful guest that is joining us. That's that's a repeat guest um, and uh, somebody that we loved talking to the first time around. And um, so much has changed since our first conversation. It was like, hey, yeah. let's, let's, let's bring Nicole 
Cole Garoski back in and let's right. let's catch up on what's happening with their practice in that side of the world. And um, I, so I'm just really excited that here we are. We're in the studio. We're going to have a great conversation. I have good wine. I'm sure you have some good wine, Michelle. I'm curious do. what Nicole is drinking. So let's bring her in and <laughs> Welcome, let's Nicole. catch up. To the Hi. podcast again. Hi, how are you? Good. Oh gosh, we're good. We're so excited to see you. I mean, we just first of all, when we first met you, um, we you know we met for lunch, and it was like, oh yeah, this is one of our people. You know, <laughs> we just loved you right away. And then the conversation that we had in the studio, and the the multiple layers that we talked about, from you know everything with um, childhood and bullying to um, your your practice and um, your passion in advocating for victims of um, s- sexual abuse and uh, to uh, you know where we ended our conversation, which was you know Epstein, as that was just starting to unravel, and now here we are three seasons later. Our force, we're in our yeah. whatever, yeah, the math, and uh, and um, much has changed. So it'll be really exciting to kind of like walk through all of this with you. Yeah, it's been almost yeah. almost eighteen months since we've had you on the show, and uh, it, it was uh, early on uh, episode thirteen. Mm. Yeah, and honestly, for me, it seems like it was six years ago. Not you know <laughs> necessarily having anything to do with you guys, but. For my life, because that was the very beginning of starting my own law firm. And, um, you know, obviously pre-coronavirus, which has, you know, also seemed like a couple of years in in, in itself. Mm-hmm. And um, wow, I was, I think, a sole practitioner at that time. I now have two employees. Um, yeah, the world is just a different place, I think, since mm-hmm. then. And, um, you know, even in my personal life, I think a lot of things have changed. My kids are both in middle school. Welcome um, to middle school. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. My my father passed away. And, I'm sorry. You oh, know, my. so so much change in my life since then that, um, you know, it really does seem like it was many years ago, even though it wasn't that long ago. Right, mm-hmm. right. And, and you're also a regular contributor now on um, St. Louis Public Radio. Yes, I am. I'm, uh, it's called the Legal Roundtable, and uh, it's just uh, a, a group of legal people who talk about um, random St. Louis legal issues once a month. Yeah, I think they must have heard you on our podcast and uh, said we Absolutely. need to have her. I think it's totally. <laughs> yeah. oh, totally. So, uh, clearly speaking, the podcast is, is becoming the launching point for everybody now. <laughs> Seriously, I know it. I know it. No, I, I mean, I have no idea how that happened, to be honest, but um, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a cool thing and it's fun. Just like this is fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, um. We were talking last time about uh, you had, you know, because, yeah, Epstein. Well, Emily, should we talk about our wine first before we oh dive into the gosh. conversation? Yes. Yeah. See, we, this whole new format's like disrupting our process. Forgetting. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We should have the wine part. Um, the wine part. Exactly. Well, um, I'm very excited about what I'm drinking. Let me grab the bottle just a second here. Um, so, 
This is one that I got as a part of my uh, wine club at the Wine Merchant. So every month I get wines that are hand-selected by them. And they're always value wines, like what we like to drink, Michelle. And, um, you know, they have their seal of approval. So this is an Italian wine. It's, It's white. I would say it's got a body similar to that of like a Chardonnay, like in weight and stuff. But it's not, it is definitely not that that kind of a grape. Um, Monte del Froid, uh, I believe would be the producer. Ca del Magro um, is this particular, I don't know, label. <laughs> I'll take a picture. <laughs> uh, um, it's uh, Custoza Superior. So I don't, you know, this is not in my forte of knowledge, this particular style of wine. Um, So that's why I'm like, I don't even know what this is. But here, I'll hold this up to the screen for our YouTube watchers. And of course, as always, we'll take a picture and share with you. Um, It's a 2016. I'm pretty wild about it. Uh, There's a ton of minerality going on, which I always love. Uh, I get on the uh, right up front as far as aromatics and tasting notes, I get a fair amount of uh, citrus, like lemon and some like clementine out of it. Oh, it's and a white again. It is. There you go. That's two weeks in a row you're drinking yeah, a Yeah, look at that color. It's really golden. Yeah. It's a yeah. real, you know, really nice body, very long finish, some salinity. I mean, this is, this is wonderful. Yeah, it's very, very good. And I, you know, under that $20 price point. What are you drinking? Well, you know, this is kind of like a revisiting episode or revisiting with uh, with Nicole. So I um, I finished the box wine, so I don't have it. <laughs> How long did it take you to finish the box wine? Out of oh, curiosity. Oh, we, okay. All right. Well, that's, I didn't do too bad. Yeah. So I'm revisiting the Cap Royale Ooh. that we had with Sarah Hobson on episode nine. And it's a it's a Bordeaux Superior, and I've had it in the decanter now for uh, two hours. Yeah, I haven't tasted it yet. Oh, okay. Well, Cap Royale. I mean, that, I that love bottle, Cap thirteen dollars. Yeah. I mean, I have yet to find something that I think really beats it. Oh. Just as perfect as it was the first time we drank it, and all of the other bottles that we've had in between. I know the Cap Royale. <laughs> we could have several bowling lanes of bottles with the Cap Royale we have drank. <laughs> right. So when when the whole Corona thing happened, and I was like, "Oh my God, I need to get like you know daily drinking wine as opposed to you know invading my cellar." And uh, I went in and I was like, "Do you guys? I need some Cap Royale. I need some of that." And they're like, "Oh yep." So I like brought home like three bottles of it. Uh, cause then I was like, I can do that. I don't, f- I don't feel bad drinking the $13 wine. Um, apologize. Do you hear my dogs barking? Hey, you know, Iggy Pop's been on many shows. It's nice to hear, uh, your, your little sweeties, my Bambi and Toby. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, it's, uh, people are walking. That's what we do in my neighborhood. They're walking, but anyway, uh, back to the Cap Royale. It is, uh, 
reminding it's it's like that very very favorite piece of underwear that silky smooth that you when you wear you feel very sexy and mm-hmm. when you get underneath the sheets everything just like feels Ooh. very luxurious luxurious and nice, um, nice. yeah so that's what is and you're really upset when your dogs end up eating them yes uh, my dogs haven't <laughs> eaten <laughs> any of mine <laughs> But we, you know, we can talk about that, Emily. We can talk. We have it's a therapy session. Well, we used to, I had a dog that liked to like, you know, eat everybody's underwear. And I was like, what the hell? Why? Why? And then, okay, has this ever happened to you? (laughs) The dog that eats underwear. I remember like one time I was out in the yard picking up the poo and I was like, what the fuck? Oh, that's underwear. (laughs) Shit it out. That's where that pair went. (laughs) Well, it was like, you know, my daughters or whatever. I was like, what the hell, Sparky? But also one time he he ate a stuffed animal that had like the little, the little tiny, um, uh, soft beads, but they're like white. Oh yeah. So I don't know what they call They're like, they're yeah, what it was called? The it's fill, like that little but, popcorn filler. Yeah, yeah, but they were like little tiny round things. And he was he was like <laughs> new to the house, still a puppy, and it was dark outside. And I was like, told I was out in the backyard. And I saw this, you know, this pile of, of dog poo with these. It was like glowing in the dark, oh these God. things. I totally freaked out. I put some in a baggie. I went to the vet the next day. I had them. <laughs> Run an analysis. <laughs> <laughs> it was like it's a it's a stuffed animal filling. I was like, oh, like what? It was like a beanie baby filling, you know. Oh I was like, what did he eat? So um I'm thankful and grateful that my current combination of animals leaves underwear and stuffed animal mm. insides alone. <laughs> I am thankful. How about you, Nicole? Um, I have a dog. <laughs> Are you asking about the dog or the wine? The dog, the wine, and any dog, any dog poo stories, if you have any of those that you want to share. Oh my gosh. We got our dog when she, when my kids were like, I don't know, four and five and they leave everything out, every little tiny thing. And my dog would eat all of them. So yeah. So we've been through paper clips and beads and yes, this poor thing. But she survived. As for wine, I'm embarrassed to say that I am not drinking wine tonight. I'm drinking like antioxidant juice because I have a terrible sinus infection. Oh my. That I have been fighting for quite some time now. So no wine for me, sadly. I'm trying to not have more headaches. Uh, I hear you. Understandable. Yeah. Well, I mean, this wine is an antioxidant juice as well. But I completely respect your decision to stay non-alcoholic. <laughs> well, anytime you want to send some over to my house, that'd be fun. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So this year has a lot, you had mentioned there's been a lot of transition for you. Um, what do you think are some of the, you know, maybe more pivotal changes to the landscape that we were kind of talking about with regards to um, you know, the awareness that some of these major issues are happening with regards to, well, I'm just going for it right now. I'm like, let's go for it, you know, to, um, sexual abuse and, and, um, you know, bringing to light some of these 
major perpetrators and the response legally and socially to what what's happening? Sure. I think, um, you know, one of the first things, and I, um, 18 months ago, is, is it's hard for me to place exactly where that was, but I think one of the biggest turning points was Bill Cosby. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, you know, one of the things that was so interesting with Bill Cosby is that I think that people really realized why should it take this many women to be believed before someone should be stopped. Right. Because there was so much evidence in that Cosby case of women, even um, other people knowing of what was going on um, and, and women, you know, even speaking up during the time, but, you know, is one enough, is two enough, is 10 enough, is, you know, 15 enough. And I think that was a real turning point for us to see, you know, when that uh, Time magazine came out and it was all those chairs and all of those women um, to see how ridiculous our society has been that it takes that many women to be believed. Mm, staggering. It's, I think you, you've hit the nail on the head because if you think about not only Bill Cosby, but, um, uh, Jeffrey Wein, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, Harvey Weinstein, mm-hmm. Matt Lauer, you know, if we just keep going down, they all had multiple or even, um, Roger Ailes and, uh, yeah. and the other Serial guys, behavior, Fox News, right? you know, yeah. um, uh, can't think of his name. I can see him. Uh, then they. Who are you thinking about? Charlie Rose. Uh, Charlie Rose, but now he was at PBS, but um, on CBS. Mm-hmm. Um, no, the 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 Inside Edition guy that didn't went on to Fox, and then he got kicked out. Oh yeah. What's right. his name? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know what? It's escaping me too. So it's okay. You know what? Those people should tell- not be remembered. It's okay. <laughs> you, can tell, you can tell. You can tell. They. I, I don't remember them very well. Uh, but uh, there was like uh, numerous, numerous women, and um, and I remember I was I've been I was binge listening to uh, ABC's uh, podcast on that they did on um, on the the uh, Jeffrey Epstein. It's called Truth and Lies, mm-hmm. and you know one one woman they had interviewed. She actually reported an assault to the the police in 1986. Yep. And then, um, and then her sister, who was about five, six years younger, also was abused by Epstein, you know? And so it was like, she kept saying on the podcast, if they had just listened to me and took, took me for real and, and, and investigated all of the rest of the women, because when, by the time they got the, the, by the time he was arraigned, it had been 24 years from when she made her first report. Right. Okay. So, yeah. And, you know, same for this Cosby case, but I think um, the Cosby case was at least um, the first one to be publicized that was this many women and then a successful prosecution. And I think, you know, the day that that verdict came out was the day that I published on my blog, this is a turning point in America. Things are going to change. And, 
they did. I mean, obviously, you know, you know, some of the Me Too movement had started already at that point, but then it was like dominoes. Yeah. And things things really started to fall. And obviously with good reason. But yeah, then um Matt Lauer and Charlie Rose and Roger Ailes and um and then and you know, obviously Jeff Jeffrey Epstein is like I mean, and, and Harvey Weinstein are like the whales, right? I mean, right. They're, the, they're the they're the big, huge ones. But again, how many women does it take? I mean, everybody knew about those people. Yeah. Everybody but, yeah. knew about those people. Right. Yeah, it is sad. It's sad. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that these serial um, offenders are, you know, finally being um, caught and held accountable. Uh, but you're right. Like, you know, when can just one woman's grief, uh, be recognized, you know? Well, and when can one woman's word be enough to be believed? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And when you talk about serial predators, the one thing that, you know, immediately goes through my mind and almost um, makes me cringe, and this is a very controversial um, point of view, but if sexual assault is about power and control, then many abusers are serial predators. It's not an oddity. It's not rare. People who have power and control issues don't do it once and, oh, their power and control issues go away. Mm-mm. Right? So it's n- not unusual. I mean, that like, oh, look, I, I, I get this. Um, I'm, I've been successful at this. And, and so I'm going to do it again because, right. that, you know, because nobody has stopped me. Um, even on like a, just on a, on a, on a personal day to day basis, it's there. You know, um, you know, I had a situation and, and I haven't, I haven't totally resolved it yet, but I had a situation in a, in a group of people that I, I, I know and where, um, somebody within our group was, um, had been, had kind of been called out by another female, not publicly, but behind the scenes and, uh, about, about his behavior. And it was like, our reaction first was, well, maybe she's making too much of it, right? That was our first reaction. Sure. And it wasn't until wasn't until the women got together and we started to share our own experiences with this person that we started to see this pattern em- em- emerge and and we were like, okay, so he and and he he's very he's a and I think he's predatory and I think he is a very very good at what he does because he leaves just enough plausible deniability mm. to it all. That is such a expert tactic. Expert tactic. Sure. And I mean, that's part of what we call grooming. And, you know, that's why all of these celebrities, you know, got away, part of why they got away with it for so long. But part of this, you know, you can call it grooming. I mean, grooming sounds really understandable when you're talking about children, right? Okay. You give them some gifts, you, um, you know, cover up for you, you know, you let them misbehave and then you, um, say, I'm not going to tell your mom and dad or whatever. 
And um, with children, you completely understand grooming. But with adults, they do a different kind of grooming. And that grooming is, you know, making themselves endeared to other people so that the person that they exhibit or person or people that they exhibit these um, behaviors towards uh, aren't going to be believed to the other people around them. And when you're talking about people like the celebrities or the clergy members or um, whatever type of abusers who are um, on those really large scales, they groom entire communities, right? Bill Cosby groomed us through the television sets. Wow, yeah. America. Yeah. That's right. And, you know, we all know clergy abusers, they, they groom through, you know, whatever, you know, religious structure they're using. And, um, you know, so it's, there's individual grooming. Sometimes there's grooming on a family level. Sometimes there's, there's entire community grooming. Yeah, I am. And you think, you know, I, when this all came, came to light and we were putting two and two together and, you know, it was, you know, ringing four and, you know, um, I felt, I felt very angry that, A, angry at myself that my first reaction was, was she making too much of it? Um, also angry at myself for doubting my initial, uh, gut reaction to some of the statements, comments, behaviors of that person towards me. Um, and then also like I have this pot, you know, I'm on this podcast. So this podcast, I can't be quiet. You know, I have to, I have, I have to stand up for my fellow sisters in this. And so, um, you know, the, the situation has changed. Um, but I know it's still out there and I worry that have, have, have I not done enough to stop, this person because that, you know, that he will, he will, he's going to continue until he's caught or called out. So, um, you know, but I walk a fine line too. Right. And, and how do you, how do you help, how do you help women recognize, um, or, or, like it's okay to make those statements or like, cause we, we struggle with it, right? We struggle with, well, you know, I don't, maybe I'm making too much of it and I shouldn't say something or yeah. I mean, what, what's the worst thing that can happen? A lot. I mean, I mean, that's the problem. A lot is the worst thing that can happen. Yeah. I mean, I struggle with that too, right? Because this is what I do for a living. And um, I have to recognize very carefully that not everybody out there wants to be a hero, right? And not everybody out there wants to um, be the champion for all victims' rights. And that's their right too. Um, And, you know, even if you're a survivor of sexual assault and abuse, maybe it, it, you know, I can't, I haven't been in that situation. I can't ask you to now go out and be the champion for everybody else. I can, you know, only hope that you're going to try to heal yourself. And if that's what you want to do, I will support you in every possible way. But if you don't want to do that, I have to support that too. But one thing that I do that I think um, hopefully is helpful is that I try really hard to educate everybody, whether you're a survivor or not, on what the red flags are in, um, you know, potential abusers and I'm talking about child abusers or adult abusers. And 
make people aware of what those red flags are. And then, you know, when I say, and I even have, you know, funny slides when I do, um, you know, presentations on this, when I say, um, you know, what do you do when you have now seen these red flags in someone's behavior? And I have a picture of, you know, Oprah when she's doing the, you get a car and you get a car and you get yeah. a car, um, <laughs> except I've changed the words to you get a citizen's arrest and you get a citizen's <laughs> arrest and you get a citizen's arrest. Right. But we're not going to start doing that. It's dangerous. Right. I mean, if someone's an abuser, who knows, you know, what boundaries they, you know, don't care about. Um, so I'm not, you know, I'm not telling people to go out and become vigilantes. What I'm saying is you supervise that person more closely. If you're, if you're personally around that person, you make sure you're not around that person alone. Or if you want to make the choice for yourself to not be around that person anymore, great. If you want to tell people and you feel comfortable with that, then go ahead and do it. If, um, you know, it's a person you think isn't safe around your your children, you don't put your children in front of that person anymore. Or um, if you are in group settings with that person, you supervise that person. If you feel like you need to tell an authority figure in that person's life, like if they're a school teacher or if they work somewhere, you know, and you ha and you feel comfortable, you know, telling an authority figure like, hey, I recognize these red flags. You know, some people don't want to be in that position, but you do whichever one of those things is comfortable for you. I obviously don't have any trouble being quiet. I'm a lawyer. I obviously talk a lot. Um, so I am a person who, you know, I do send that email to the principal. Hey, I've noticed these red flags in one of your teachers. They probably think I'm nuts, but I don't care. I did it. And now I feel better about it. Um, have you seen positive response from doing that? Um, the positive response I've gotten is that my child doesn't have to have that teacher anymore. It doesn't seem to protect other children. Okay, so it has resulted in change. That's yes, good. Yeah, but for me only. It doesn't protect other kids. Like, you know? Yeah. Um, now, do I know if subconsciously I planted a seed in that principal's mind that they are watching that teacher? I hope so. Um, you know, I, I do the best I can. Ha so... Is this just one instance or have you recognized the, the, this pattern in multiple teachers? Yeah. So I don't want to get too, you know, personal about sure. it because, you know, I don't want to, like I said, my noticing red flags is not necessarily, I've seen somebody abuse somebody. I see red flags that are even before abusive behavior because I've been doing this for so long. Okay, right. And so to me, that just means supervise more closely. It doesn't mean, you know, this person has abused. It means this is a person that I think has the potential to abuse and this person needs to be supervised. And when we're talking about children, I will go out on that limb. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm certainly not going to out anyone in public who, you know, I haven't seen actually taken that step. I think that they have a potential to. Um, but yeah, that's happened before. Um, I have taken my kids out of situations when I feel that the supervision is insufficient. For example, this one I will, I will specifically talk about because it doesn't have to do with an individual. Um, my kids were in an after school program where, um, the people that you, who are there for supervision each day, um, they changed pretty much every day and you didn't even know the person 
who was there supervising your kid each day. And uh, you didn't know what kind of training they had. You didn't, I mean, it was a YMCA program at the school, but you know, you didn't know the names of the people because they kept switching them around and moving them around from school to school. And I thought that's just, that's too much. If I don't know the, the name of the person watching my kid each day, that's not a good situation for me. So, you know, I, you know, I sort of have those rules for myself that I follow um, in terms of, you know, adult to adult behavior. I tend to, um, like I said, I tend to notice red flags. One of the big red flags that, you know, I'll just say on here is people who don't think the rules apply to them. And we all know those people, right? Wow. <laughs> I can think of from, uh, <laughs> somebody that doesn't think the rules apply to him. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. And, it, and yeah. Yeah. so that's, that's one of the big ones. Another big one is people who test boundaries all the time. So people don't just automatically, usually, someone who automatically comes out and abuses just right away is somebody who's probably been doing it for a long time. But usually there's a boundary testing, even with adults. So, for example, um, someone might start with inappropriate comments and see how you react. Um, are you going to yell at them? Are you going to walk away? Or are you the type of person who's just going to be quiet because then you're a target? Then you're probably a vulnerable person who how does that, can, can probably I, go further. Yeah, go right, ahead. Can I pause? How yep. does that differ from just the exploration in, in any relationship of of, you know, discovering each other's boundaries, you know? Um, you can tell. I think that um, we have good human judgment of you can tell if this place comes from a place of kindness or if this comes from a place that just doesn't feel right in our gut. Okay. Right? And when I say, when I say pushes the boundaries, I'm not necessarily talking about, you know, this is an intimacy thing. I'm generally talking about pushing the boundaries of contact before it's emotionally appropriate. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's why you get that feeling in your gut. And I think that most people out there have that gut feeling of like, this is icky. This, yeah. And, and some people, and this has nothing to do with being a good person, a bad person, or any kind of judgment on a person, but like some people are able to stand up in that moment and say, mm, I don't like being around in that, around that person and other people can't. And mm-hmm. that's just, uh, you know, the only reason things that make you one or the other is your coping skills and how you've been raised and all kinds of things that are mm-hmm. in your background. That's just way too psychological to get into here, but that's how they pick their target. Did you study psychology? D- sorry. Did you study psychology? Also, what I, studied, what I studied was criminology. Okay, well, that's gotta incorporate a yeah, because yeah. I, you know, I think, you know, obviously, uh, intent with 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 law is it it's very key. It's essential, right? Um, and it seems to me that you have a really. Uh, core understanding of motives. And so I'm just, yeah, made me wonder. Well, so I studied sociology and criminology in, um, in school, but then also, you know, my first 10 years were in criminal work. And so, and I, and it, 
all of my practice focused in my first 10 years of criminal work on crimes against children and sex crimes against adults. And so I received a ton of training from the Department of Justice, from um, child services organizations, from um, psychological organizations, from the United States Marshals, from, you know, just, you know, you name it, all different kinds of organizations. Um, to teach me how to recognize some of these things and to teach me how to relate to um, victims. And this, you know, all of that information sort of culminated in an understanding, I think, in my brain of just how this stuff works. And then I sat down and tried to, um, you know, at some point in my career, I thought, gosh, all I do is react as a lawyer. All I do is, um, you know, all I do is lawsuits after something horrible has happened. Can't I do something for prevention? Can I do something helpful for people to try to prevent this stuff from happening? So that's when I sat down and tried to think these things out. So, um, you know, uh, for prevention, you know, we, we think about, you know, definitely um, about how to prevent child abuse and, and, you know, teaching kids, you know, this is not right. That's not right. If somebody says something to you, you know, but I, I think a really great spot to put some focus in as, you know, women, you're in the workforce, women, you're in a community, women, you're in your church, women, you're at your, your favorite Zumba class or whatever. And like recognizing red flags or, or, or like acknowledging that your gut is telling you something That's and, right. and like how to not become somebody's target, you know, because like this, it's this a class uh, person, in itself, right. This person that I, you know, I, that I keep thinking about, you know, th there was a target he went after and it was, it was always the single women who had no family. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, and it was, or, or no fam or who lived far, you know, like it wasn't necessarily, um, you know, something, someone that, you know, was going to be, um, uh, easily rescued. I, that's not the right word. I I'm searching for that, but you know, how, how can we not be targets? I'm 50. Right. And it's like, why, why would somebody want to target me? That, that doesn't last very long, but like, you know, you can be 60 and be targeted. You could be 30 and be targeted. How can you, how can you prevent that? Or what steps can you take? Yeah. I mean, look, I don't want to say that I have any kind of like superhero power for women about really how to prevent this stuff. I mean, if somebody is such a power and control, um, you know, criminal, I mean, and when this is what we're talking about is criminal behavior that, you know, they're going to physically overcome you. There's not a whole lot that you can do. I mean, other than, you know, self-defense courses, which is not, you know, not my thing or, um, yeah. you know, something like that. But what I'm talking about is trying to spot someone early who you feel uncomfortable around trusting that in yourself and going the other way. And I think so many women don't trust that in themselves, even though they feel it. I talk to women who call my office all the time where somebody has sexually assaulted them in maybe, um, uh, obviously sexual abuse, you guys, is such a violation. It's such a horrible thing, but they'll tell me, 
but it wasn't violent. And he apologized and I just wanted my life to go back to normal. And so, yeah, I continued this business relationship with him or I continued this, you know, I continued to be friends with him. So it didn't break up our friend group or, you know, and, and like just women who just don't automatically trust their guts and, you know, at least move the other way. And at least if I can put that spark in people's heads, that makes a difference. Right. And then I, you know, for, for us, it was like once one woman shared her situation or, or her experience, and then the rest of us started to share our, our experiences as well. That's the only time it was like one woman who, who voiced it. Right. And we can go back to the, you know, the Epstein's and the Weinstein's and all of, you know, the Cosby's, you know, it's like always, there's one person who, who shares and, um, and then the rest can go, oh, that was, that was me too. That was me too. So, so if you have, if you have something uncomfortable, share it with, share it with people, share it, you know, pull, pull yeah. the girlfriends aside, you know, some of that you trust. And so, you know, I just get an uneasy feeling about mm. him or her or, or whoever it is that, you know, and, and, and share, because then you might find out that, oh, I have that uneasy feeling as well. You know, and then you realize, yeah. okay, I'm I'm not alone. I'm not crazy in this. Or at least you've told somebody else and now those now the radar is up, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of us who work in this field, I think we do that with each other all the time because that kind of taboo of like, can I like pull you aside and tell you I think that dude's creepy? Like we don't have that you know, taboo anymore. And I think that's what needs to happen. That taboo needs to go away and people need to share what's in their gut. You know, I, I, Denise, um, shared a, uh, a meme a while back that I just love Denise, our producer. And it was, um, trust your gut. That bitch knows. And I love that statement. It's so true. You know, um, you know, think about those times when you've gotten on the elevator and there's somebody else in there and your skin starts to crawl. Like those instincts are there for a reason. But, you know, to kind of circle back just a little bit here and talking about, Nicole, you had talked about you know, women who find themselves in an uncomfortable situation among peer groups and so forth. And, oh, my, you know, it wasn't violent. And so it kind of diminishes whether or not it was really assault. You know, something that Nicole, or uh, sorry, Michelle and I have talked about before is there's so many gray areas in between yes and no. And really anything but a yes is a no. And that is something that needs to be really a part of this conversation because there's even times where you're not even a yes, but you're pressured to yes, or you're, you know, um, uh, you you say yes to get it over with because the hour and a half of hounding is finally wearing you down. And so you're like, let's just get it over with because I know that, you know, that's easier. You know, so all of those things. Yeah. Are you know who really understands that now is the college kids. Yeah. The college kids really get that. And they're really setting new policies. Because they're the ones that are walking around campus and protesting and making sure that if it is not an explicit yes, it's a no. Isn't that great? And 
Yep. They are the ones that are going to carry this on for everybody. That makes me feel so, um, uh, like not necessarily relieved, but comforted, reassured, mm-hmm. and because you know the the those college the college age women, you know, if they don't have to follow the same trajectory that our peers have and the generation right behind us has, think you know, amen. Well, it'll be like finally that that cycle will be can be broken, you know. That's right. Where yep. we have instead of like you know three out of four, it could be like, you know, 0.5 out of four, you know, it just lessens the, the, the incidents. And hopefully the men, the young men will realize that I don't want to be a perpetrator of sexual assault. Yeah. I, th- you know? I mean, I, I think truly, um, of a small percentage of men, want to be that man. Right. I mean, it, it maybe they're, hormones and sexual desire are are feeding that frenzy that that's making them push and push and push but at the end of the day if they knew that you felt compromised because you had sex with them would that make them feel good and i i believe the optimist in me believes that most of the men would be very saddened to think that you really didn't want to have sex with them once you finally said, okay, let's do it. If you were being pressured or, you know, the, the all of the gray areas that we're talking about. I think most of the abusers that we're talking about are not that person that you just described. I think the right. person who is able to, um, the person who would feel extreme empathy um, knowing that you didn't consent and they thought that you did is the rare case. I think um, most of power and control sexual abusers are people who um, they come from privilege and they there's probably not a whole lot of empathy there to begin with. Mm-hmm. And when I say they come from privilege, I don't necessarily even mean that as a monetary privilege. Right. I mean that that it's a masculine privilege or it's, it could be a monetary privilege. It could be, um, you know, any, a certain kind of privilege where they have been taught that something is theirs for the take. Right. They're used to getting their way. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's generally, if it's a confusion type of, I thought you consented and no, I didn't consent. That's, generally not the situation that uh we're talking about mm-hmm. yeah yeah well i think this is a really good spot for us to take a break <laughs> yeah, add a little more wine into our glasses <laughs> get some more uh, antioxidant good. water there nicole <laughs> because we'll have so many more questions but let's just take a let's take a real quick break and come back sounds and great great talking Well, hello, Michelle. Hey, Emily, how are you? I'm good. I just wanted to express a special thank you to our digital marketing team, Worry-Free Marketing. I know. I have been completely blown away with our results working with them. 
Absolutely. And, you know, in this time where everything is so complicated, people are consuming information in different ways, you know, they've been really excellent at helping us kind of redraft a strategy as to the best way to stay in contact with all of our listeners. It feels good. I don't feel quite like we're out here alone by ourselves trying to navigate it. So it's awfully great that we have that resource locally. And I know they work all across the U.S., but it's nice that we have them here in St. Louis to help us out. Absolutely. So cheers to worry-free. Yeah. And let's get back with our show. And we're back. Yes, we have a little more wine in my glass. What about you, Emily? Oh, I am. Yes, I have a. This is the thing, like, I'm not sure once we get back in studio all together, if I'm going to have my equal pour system managed. Like I'm so used to being just like, yeah, (laughs) fill my glass up. (laughs) It's all for me. You know, it's all right. It's okay. We will, we will definitely, um, uh, understand that it might take you a little bit to get it all back together. Right. right. There will be no judgments. I'll just hassle you until I get as much (laughs) as you have in your glass. So it might not, we might need to bring like a couple more bottles to to the studio. Yeah. Cause we are definitely going to be used to drinking more. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, before we went on break, we were having a really fascinating conversation about not like, you know, listen to your gut, you know, the, the changes that have happened since the last time. Gut (laughs) health, right. Or, you know, talking to people and stuff like that. But I, um, I was hoping we could like, just, you know, like kind of talk about those big cases. And I mean, since, you know, Epstein's dead, right. Um, but they're unbelievable. Well, yeah. and, but is he, but is he right? <laughs> oh, he is. he's dead. He's, he's yeah. dead. Is he though? I mean, like, he yeah. Did, and, and he died by suicide. Truly? You do think it was suicide? Yes. You don't think well, it was a, uh, some sort of job? Murder. I don't. Really? Do you, they, do you think they'd let him kill himself and didn't try to keep him from dying? That may be. Yeah. But he, it was, he died by suicide. But is that, aren't those, aren't those, because he was on suicide watch, like, aren't those? It rude? wasn't a very good suicide watch. It was, a, it was a very negligent suicide watch. But how does one even commit suicide when they're like on watch? Like, there's no way they can tie sheets. Like, you know, it, from my understanding, it can't really be done unless there may be. I think if somebody wants to die, they'll find a way to kill themselves. I think really? so too. And I, I think that could be a subject for a whole other show, but <laughs> yeah. I, and I think they didn't check on him as often as they were supposed to. And I, you know, yeah, if someone wants to die okay. badly enough, they'll, they'll find a well, way. Well, and he was such a coward because he was denied bond uh, bail, which meant he was going to have to stay in jail till the trial came, which meant the whole, they're still going to investigate and get more and more evidence. And he was just a chicken shit. Right. From everything I understand, nothing in the world scared him more than prison. Wow. <laughs> we know what happens to pedophiles in prison. <laughs> so so he was going to avoid his own personal hell. So, so yeah, right. but I mean, but now you, you know, he has got like all the victims, you know, and like what kind of restitution can, I mean, 
I mean, I, I, I was listening to the podcast and they were like, since he's dead, like a couple of the cases are just over because he's dead. Um, right. I mean, that's one of the really sad things for the victims is that, you know, aside from, I mean, let's put the money aside for a second and, and restitution regarding, you know, their therapy needs and their economic damages. I mean, they're not going to get their day in court. And I think, you know, so many of them really sought that justice moment, you know, that, that, you know, wanting to seek that, you know, day in court of being able to tell what happened to them in a way that was um, legitimized and given vindication. And that's one of the really depressing things out of that is that they're not going to get that. What do you think about going after the people who enabled it? You know, like the, I mean, is that, uh, is that on a criminal level or would that be a civil, uh, a, um, a civil case? I mean, I think both are possibilities. I don't know what sort of evidence. I know that Brad Edwards, who is the person who um, was had a civil case against Jeffrey Epstein for a significant number of the victims, um, is also going after, um, what was that woman's name? Shalene? Ghislaine um, Maxwell. Maxwell, thank you. Yeah, I couldn't think yeah. of her, her name. Um, he apparently, um, has all kinds of subpoenas out on her and she has fled the country. And every time she tries to come back into the country, he, um, he tries to get her. In fact, he showed up at a wedding. Brad showed up at a wedding recently where she was. Really? Yeah. To try and get her deposition. And of course her lawyers stomped in and said, what are you doing here? Um, but he's not going to let up, (coughs) excuse me. I know Brad Edwards and he's not going to let up. So, um, you know, he's going to keep fighting for that. I don't know if the prosecutors will keep fighting for that because obviously they have a lot of other crimes to go on to. And obviously the civil attorneys do too, but, um, you know, this is a big deal and, um, you know, these, these victims deserve their day in court. But would it would it make a difference moving forward in our society as if enablers were just as culpable and held just as accountable for the what the actual perpetrator did? Just yeah, I'm just I mean, under, in you know, uh, in you know, a theoretical world, if we could get them, criminal liability does work exactly that way. Aiding and abetting in a crime a crime gives you equal punishment to the person who actually committed the crime. So um, you're liable as if you committed the crime. So yes, if they can get them, then they will be held responsible. I think they're going to have a hard time um, getting these people. Yeah. Because of the fact that they have so much money and they can be out of the country and be away or because it hasn't been done in this type of case. No, I think it's, the first, I think, the first? yeah, okay. I think it's the prior. Yeah. Um, I think it's because these people are so slippery. Right. Right. Well, okay. So Epstein's dead. Hopefully Brad is going to be able to get Ghislaine, um, one of these days if she doesn't just stay away, um, uh, forever, uh, or end up dead herself. Right. Um, right. 
<laughs> because somebody, you know, that big black book of his, you know, there's, you know, the blackmail, the, the people he had. Um, yeah. Have you heard the full story on that book? No, I, I've only, you know, tell us what you know, because I've only heard what the, like the podcast would, you know, the different podcast, but. So, okay. So it's a, it was a bodyguard who had Jeffrey Epstein's black book of, um, of, uh, people that, you know, traveled with him and, and, you know, supposedly would have, you know, partaken in these mm. illegal activities. I'm just going to say it that way. Okay. Um, and the bodyguard um, apparently had this book and um, he called up Bradley Edwards and offered to sell it to Bradley Edwards. Um, I can't remember what the dollar amount was, but it was very high. And the, apparently Brad had had a couple of meetings with this bodyguard and actually kind of liked the guy. He, he was, you know, he was a witness in the case, obviously, even without the black book. And, uh, you know, Brad tried to talk him out of it several times, telling him, you know, this is a federal crime. You can't, you know, sell evidence in a criminal case <laughs> and couldn't talk him out of it. So um, feeling pretty guilty because he liked a guy, Brad had to call up the FBI and say, look, this guy's trying to sell me evidence, you know, in the Jeffrey Epstein case. And so the FBI wired him up. And he had to like go into a Starbucks, you know, wired up and make the deal with the guy for this, you know, exorbitant amount of money for this black book. And then, you know, the feds busted in and took him, took him, you know, to prison. So it, it was a really unfortunate event. Right. Right. But then I guess if that, uh, if we think about from the bodyguard's perspective, what he had been around was so not normal that it wouldn't, you know, he was probably just, of course, someone will buy it. Someone will pay for it. Um, uh, I think Brad made it very, very explicit what he was doing though. And even oh, that sure. day on the, on the wire tried to tell him, please don't do this. Please don't do this. Yeah. yeah. It's sad. Yeah. Um, well, I hope that uh, it'll be, uh, you know, I'll be following it because it's just a fascinating case for sure. But I, I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, the, the victims can continue to speak out, right? And, you know, continue to tell their story, continue to talk about what, what made them targets, you know? Mm -hmm. um, you know, what, what uh, I mean, a couple of them on the podcast, they talked about how things happened to them but then they didn't, they didn't tell anybody because they were either ashamed. And I mean, it's the classic stuff we've talked yeah. about before, right? right. It's, yep. There's just so much to learn from these stories in history. And I mean, this, this is certainly in this issue that we're talking about, but just in general in history, like, you know, why are we not paying attention to these patterns more? What, you know, and, and even this massive historical event we're going through right now inevitably there's lots that we can learn from this to be more prepared and handle things better in the future. You know, um, I, I have kind of an optimist question for you, Nicole. Um, you know, you, we were talking about restitution and in this case where, you know, this man is no longer alive and, um, you know, the, the, 
the comfort that that the process of going through court and validation that that provides to victims and their families. And I'm wondering right now, here we are in this time where things are changing every day and we're finding new ways to communicate to each other, to podcast from our closets, to work from home, to connect with our people in uh, in a fresh way. Is there not maybe another way to develop uh, an opportunity for these victims to still tell their their story and, and, maybe educate future victims, um, get some of that burden off of their chest and help connect with others who have been in similar circumstances? Sure. I think, um, I think, you know, there is the podcast that I think Michelle was listening to. And I think that a lot of the victims have been on media and let's hope that that kind of media attention continues uh, you know, a lot of people think, um, I'll just talk about myself in particular, um, with, you know, some of the legal cases that I file that, you know, are obviously not even close to as big as a Jeffrey Epstein case, but I do always file a press release when I file a new case. And the reason that I do that is not because I feel like I want to be in the press all the time. It's not fun for me. I don't enjoy it. Um, the reason I do that is to get these things out there. I feel like it's a public health, public safety issue. And I do feel like these things need to be talked about more. Um, as you can see, what the Me Too me- movement has done is it's educated all of us. And that's an incredibly important thing. And that needs to keep going. Yeah. And, um, you know, obviously, um, so I am a part of an organization called the National Crime Victims Bar Association, and I'm a board member. And we talk to all of our board, all of our members about doing that exact same thing. And not, again, not because we're all press hounds. It's because we feel like this education element is really important. And, um, you know, so a lot of the things that I'm telling you about Brad and I and I talk about him as if I know him, and that's because I do know him, and that's from the National Crime Victims Bar Association. And um, Brad is on the board with me there, and he um, regularly tells us, he's been telling us about the Jeffrey Epstein case from way before it was in the media, just so that we as victims' rights attorneys could understand it ourselves and learn how this started. And basically it started in Brad's office when a young woman, I think she was not even a woman yet. She was still a child, uh, came in and sat in the office of his law firm. And his, he was a new ish attorney, uh, at that law firm and his superiors told him, go in the conference room and talk to this kid. I don't think you're going to be able to help her, but at least, you know, we got to hear her out. I know this story. Yeah, and he this went. This was on there. like this American Life, wasn't it? I don't. Know. I mean, Brad. Brad just wrote a book, so he's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, the day, in fact, the the day after I talked to you guys about Brad, he he was on uh, CBS this morning. The next morning, about his book, he just published. So, um, so anyway, he went in there and he started to talk to her, and she tells him this story about you know how she's you know, a victim of Jeffrey Epstein. He didn't know who Jeff, Jeffrey Epstein is. Most of us didn't at that time. 
And, um, but the part that really got him interested was she told him, you know, the, the U S attorney's office closed this case and didn't do anything. And I'm the victim and they didn't even talk to me. And he was a prosecutor. He was an ex prosecutor, just like me. And he said, well, that's impossible. There's a victim's bill of rights. We're always required to talk to the victim and I'll just make a couple calls and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll find out there has to be a mistake. And he starts, you know, making a couple calls to the U S attorney's office and it just gets more and more suspicious. And, you know, he ends up, what he ended up doing (laughs) was he, he'd never done this before in his life. I don't know if any of us had at the crime victim bar association before he made up a document called, um, motion for assertion of victims rights <laughs> and, and, and you know we were all like yeah that sounds good sounds good I mean none of sounds us had legal. an example <laughs> right none of us had an example for that we all knew you know those rights existed but we never had to assert them before and next thing you know he's got an entire lawsuit going off of that where, you know, he gets the entire federal criminal case reopened because he's just found this entire conspiracy involving Acosta, the U.S. attorney, yeah. and uh, Alan Dershowitz and Jeffrey Epstein, and everything's wide open. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you this. Um, when Epstein received his uh, very light sentence in county jail, in um for the solicitation mm-hmm. of a prosi- of a prostitute who's a minor thing and it became a non-prosecuted a non-prosecution agreement for anybody else that could be affected but now he's dead doesn't mm-hmm. that i mean if the victims cases are wiped out like you know like there are things you know a couple of their cases will like they can't can't you know get get Epstein all the way so that's wiped out wouldn't that non-prosecuted prosecute you know, wouldn't that be also wiped out now that he's dead? It doesn't really matter though, because you can't prosecute someone who's dead. No, no, the people, the 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 co-conspirators. Oh, the, what, are you, the, the, what are you talking about? Going after Dershowitz or going after? Yeah, like like, the, like they said, um, like when they sent Epstein to jail, one of the things that they had to agree to was a non prosecution agreement of anybody else who could be connected to him well see so i know this is like legal and stuff but i understand what you're asking i think but so far dershowitz wasn't a party to the agreement he was only there as a representative of epstein and same with acosta he was only there as the u.s attorney now it's since come out that dershowitz may have partaken in that illegal activity right but if they i mean all they would have to do on that is you know they have i say all it's not an easy case to bring but they have to gather the evidence and then they can bring any charge they want you know based on that evidence against dershowitz acosta has immunity He's he's never going to get prosecuted except in the court of public opinion because he was a government employee, right? The U.S. attorney doing what the government asked him to do, right? Mm. So let's think about that. My goodness, right? Who was you know who in the government in two thousand and 
Nine-ish? Or five? 2006. Yeah, because he didn't go to jail to 2007. Believe me, I just listened to the podcast, right? Um, Mm. That was was Bush. That was George W. Bush was president. Yeah, I was a U.S. attorney at that time. And what's interesting is that, you know, I mean, I always joked you couldn't go to the bathroom without asking permission. I mean, everything had to be run up a chain of, you know, commands, but... You know, if you're the U.S. attorney, I think the rules are a little different. So did Acosta make those decisions on his own or did he run them up through DOJ? I don't know if we're going to know the answer to that. Well, I don't think we'll know that answer in this administration. Right. But we might find the answer. Oh, right God. Maybe. Definitely don't think maybe, so. Or maybe it'll, be like, maybe it'll be like 30 years from now, like how they open the Nixon tapes, right? It'll it'll um, be a long time. Yeah. Right. Gosh. Well, we'll have to do another podcast at that point, of course. Our right. voices might be a little more crackly. We'll be like, oh, I don't know. Get that microphone closer. I can't. Here's your jug of wine, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> Did you put it in my sippy cup? Sippy cup. You know how I like to spill. Um, okay. So, so that's Epstein and Weinstein. What do you think of like? What do you think about Weinstein and the what he got like twenty seven years? So he'll probably die in jail. Um, he'll he's going to appeal it, of course. But what kind of do you think like his victims would do would benefit from like a civil lawsuit against Miramax and all of the corporate entities that paid people off and enabled him to keep being him? I mean, my guess is something like that is going to happen or else there's already been a settlement. I don't know. I'm not as in touch. I don't know any of the lawyers on that case. Um, One of the things that truly bothers me about that case is, I mean, this guy's personality had the red flags all over him and he was a public personality. I, I, you know, I think, you know, I think people really knew about this. I mean, Jeffrey Epstein at least was, you know, if you had mentioned Jeffrey, Jeffrey Epstein to me 10 years ago, when I was a federal prosecutor, I would have said who, like, Mm -hmm. I didn't know, you know, a hedge fund manager, but if you would have said Miramax, I mean, geez, I was a Miramax college kid running around (laughs) campus, you know, trying to get all my buddies to come to Miramax films because I was some kind of campus influencer. Right. I mean, we all knew. (laughs) Right. Right. We knew. Yeah. Um, and this guy's personality screams power and control and abuse. And, um, you know, I think, I think people knew about this guy for most of his life probably. And, um, you know, that's just, you know, obviously Jeff, Jeffrey Epstein is incredibly offensive because it's kids. Harvey Weinstein is incredibly offensive because everybody in the world knew mm-hmm. and it was his, power, you know, that kept people from telling. I mean, Jeffrey Epstein obviously was his power kept people from telling too, but it's just a different kind of power, right? One is, you know, Jeffrey Epstein found kids that had absolutely no privilege in this world, right? right? He he specifically targeted kids. Lured with the money. money. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Harvey Weinstein Lured him with fame. power of, yeah, of of work. And yeah, yeah, and all kinds of other, you know, carrots that he dangled in front of people or used as sticks, whichever, you know, um, it's all abuse. 
So do you think, and before we wrap this conversation up, but do you think the fact that these media um, uh, folks, you know, the, the Weinstein, the Lauer, the Cosby's, um, the Ailes, you know, all those, all those guys that we talked about, you know, in the beginning, do you think the fact that we've, we've, we've been able to, um, uh, impact their livelihood and shun them and, you know, make them like non-existent even more. These are in air quotes, people (laughs) that, that, that will start to hit other industries because you know the same shit goes on in banking, in manufacturing, Everywhere. in you know, like all these other industries where you know men with power. You know, uh, not saying that every man in power is this way, however, but do you think that we'll see more dominoes fall now that we've been successful? with Weinstein and Cosby and getting rid of the other ones, just losing their jobs. But I'm just curious, what's your thoughts? Future. Yeah. I mean, so I think there are two sides to it. One is that people are getting more educated and that's always, always a good thing. So one of the things we worry about at the National Crime Victim Bar Association, where every one of us is a crime victim attorney, is a backlash. And so I think all of us have seen some of it um, probably, you know, on social media, right? So, you know, people saying, you know, don't give me any of this Me Too stuff or, um, you know, now everyone's an abuser, right? Or, you know, there is likely to be some backlash and that's concerning. And, you know, we do have to understand what the Me Too movement means and what it doesn't mean. And again, you know, when I talk about these red flags, I'm talking about reasons to trust your gut. I'm not talking about reasons to do a citizen's arrest, right? I got to make that very clear. We don't go out and hang somebody on a gut, but we do watch ourselves on a gut feeling. So, you know, we have to be very careful about those fine lines. And, you know, there's never a downside to getting people more educated. I'm I'm never going to complain about that. Um, but I, you know, I do worry about, you know, we do live in Trump country and, you know, there very easily could be some backlash to this. Yeah. So let's just say, you know, uh, we've got a listener who has an issue. They can give you a call, right. And they can just like tell you what's happening and, and like, and you can help say this, yes, come talk to me some more. I mean, like, People are, and that's the other thing we haven't even talked about. People are home with each other now all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's like. My goodness. The, the, I mean, that's the concerning thing. People who are in violent relationships, you know, relationships. like. Right. What, right. What? Yeah. Power and control does not always manifest in sexual abuse. Sometimes it manifests right. in physical abuse. Um, sure. So, yeah, what are some some thoughts that can help these people who are currently trapped in this situation? I think um, a few things. I think if people are trapped in households where they are being abused and they've gotten to the point where they are ready to leave but don't know where to go, I think that um, it's important to know that there are shelters out there that are willing to help. There are hotlines that 
I don't, you know, I hope I wish I was prepared for that to share them on the, on the podcast tonight. We but can make sure to can, release. Yeah. Yeah. We'll put, we we'll can put easily them in the show notes. You get, you give them to us. We'll add them in the show notes so people okay. can read them and stuff like that. And we'll have them. That on our would be great. Too. Yeah. And one of the things that, you know, those shelters would tell you to do is to have a bag packed, keep it, you know, in the mm. back of your closet and you know, when you're ready, you're ready. Yeah. Yeah. Have yeah. a friend too, right? Don't you need a friend? Well, I don't know. It depends. Arizona? No. I, what I would do is I would call that shelter or that hotline for that advice. They okay. they are really trained counselors who can tell you exactly what to do. Okay. That's yeah. great. The times we live in. Oh, I know. Yeah. Things to think about, right? I mean, you know, and I was just complaining because I had my, I had a little melancholy day, you know, but I am in a safe, I am in a safe environment and, and a safe and loving environment. Um, but, uh, but I'm, I'm so grateful for you, Nicole, my for goodness. you being in our, in our community, for the people that you're working with, the women, the children, the families, um, you know, we're very blessed that you are have chosen St. Louis to be your home and to help uh, help help our help our fellow citizens. And this line of work, I mean, this is a very challenging um, uh, cause that you're fighting for every day. So the courage and tenacity and ability to not let it wear you down. I mean, uh, it's commendable. So thank you for, you know, for, for being that person. We, 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 uh, on, on your first episode, I think we said something like wonder woman or Superwoman lives here. Like, and <laughs> it's so true. Here. We, we are, yeah. you know, really honored, um, that you're here in St. Louis, but certainly it's wonderful to, to be a friend of yours and you're an inspiring person for sure. So well, thank you. Thank you for <laughs> thank joining you for coming us on the once show. again yeah. and, um, sharing your thoughts with us and, uh, we'll We'll make sure that everybody knows how to find you if they need you. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, the, by the way, um, and I, I will get you the numbers, but safe connections is who I would recommend that people okay. call if, if they need help with physical or sexual violence. Okay. That's great okay. to know. We'll have those numbers in the show notes and also on the website and Nicole, you know, Best of luck to you as you. as you navigate the rest of middle school. <laughs> you've got That's a couple the worst. <laughs> you've got a couple more years, and I think that we can probably hook you up with a middle school survivors group. Yeah, parents. Yeah, you just call, we'll, we'll hook you up with that. But uh, this has been a great conversation. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Emily, good to yes. see you on the screen. Nice to see you. Oh yeah, my gosh. I miss uh, you all so, but lovely virtual, to have a conversation. Hugs. Virtual hugs. And, virtual uh, clinks. Clink, cheers. Clink, clink. Oh, clink, clink. I got to see my bottle here. Yes, yeah. you do. Ching, ching. Cheers. <laughs> Bye.